You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. In a state filled with amazing creatures and species, one of the more interesting in the state of Colorado is the kokanee salmon from its interesting face to its bright red color in the full and unique spawning practice the kokanee are a fascinating inhabitant of the colorado waterways today on colorado outdoors we talk to a couple of cpw experts about a record-setting kokanee spawning year and what makes this fish so unique here in the centennial state You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollars support. Well, today in Colorado Outdoors, we're talking with Dan Brow. He's the aquatic biologist for the Upper Gunnison Basin. Dan, thanks for joining us. First off, as we're talking kokanee here today, tell us a little bit about kokanee's role in the Colorado Riverways and how they're kind of a unique fish here in Colorado. Yeah, kokanee really do provide a key role at providing fishing opportunity in our large reservoirs especially. And much of the reason for that is because they do such a good job feeding on zooplankton within our large reservoirs with lots of open water and they grow real quickly to a size that anglers can catch and and keep in our reservoirs so they've got kind of a unique life cycle don't they in in terms of when we compare that to you know shall we say uh the trout species correct they are yeah they are as a salmon species they do migrate uh and head upstream to spawn and they do provide opportunities for fishing uh, during those migrations, as well as an opportunity for us to utilize those runs to collect kokanee eggs for restocking. So when were kokanee introduced here in the state of Colorado? Well, kokanee, they they weren't the first salmon brought to Colorado. It was actually Chinook salmon that were stocked in Colorado in 1874. But kokanee were brought in after we built large reservoirs to utilize, utilize those open portions of those reservoirs and were first stocked into Granby Reservoir in 1951. From what I understand, Blue Mesa Reservoir and Roaring Judy Hatchery really play an important role for the kokanee here in the state. Tell us about that. Yeah, previous to Blue Mesa being our primary kokanee spawn take, Granby served that role and really things switched over in the early 90s when uh, we started taking more eggs from Blue Mesa to restock Colorado waters. And we do depend on Blue Mesa today to provide often the bulk of eggs for restocking up to 26 waters each year. Isn't Roaring Judy normally the largest kokanee salmon run in the U.S.? And how did that play out this year? 
There may be some years that it is the largest in the U.S. However, Blue Mesa is fairly small compared to some other kokanee waters, such as Pend Oreille in Idaho, which is about 10 times the size of Blue Mesa. Okay. So up at, in Idaho, they do take up to around 20 million eggs each year at the Cabinet Gorge Hatchery. But Blue Mesa is still one of the larger kokanee runs, and the Roaring Judy Hatchery is one of the largest uh, kokanee egg takes, depending on the year. So how was the run this year? This year's run continued to be small, uh, but was slightly better than last year. We ended up taking about 2.3 million, million eggs from the Blue Mesa run this year. Tell us a little bit about the migration and, and the, the pattern and how far the, the kokanee spawn here from Colorado. Well, kokanee are stocked directly out of the hatchery into the east in Gunnison Rivers, and they work their way down to Blue Mesa Reservoir overnight. Then they spend a few years, uh, usually two or three years, in Blue Mesa Reservoir before they head back upstream, migrating up to about 26 miles to reach the hatchery. You, you just mentioned a while ago over 3 million eggs collected. What's, what's the annual normal egg quota when we're talking about kokanee salmon? So to cover all of our kokanee waters throughout the state of Colorado, we need about 11 million eggs. And... We have taken up to 17 million eggs from Blue Mesa Reservoir's run mm. alone. Often if we do take more than Colorado's needs for kokanee eggs, we will offer those up to other states who can utilize eggs uh, for kokanee when they're short of eggs. Now, with uh, regardless of what species we're talking about, there always are challenges, I would think, from, from your perspective. So when it comes here to the state of Colorado, what are some of the challenges you face keeping kokanee viable here in the state? I'd imagine drought and, and uh, things like that and gill lice, those kind of things, that must affect them, I would think. Yeah, one of the biggest challenges for managing kokanee is just the fact that we're raising kokanee in reservoirs that often can fluctuate quite a bit seasonally. So... During runoff, the reservoirs will fill back up, and quite often those reservoirs are used for water, and uh, storage levels can drop as the year goes on. Drought years make it particularly difficult, as we often see the storage levels within our reservoirs impacted during these dry years, which have seemed to come more and more often here in recent years. That does make it a challenge to continue to manage uh, for kokanee and to ensure that we're maintaining healthy kokanee populations. How about from a predatory standpoint? Is it lake trout? Is that what would be the main predator for kokanee? Yeah, lake trout do tend to be the primary predator, at least for the bulk of the kokanee's life cycle. Kokanee are a very important part of providing trophy opportunities for lake trout. They provide a good prey source to grow lake trout up to 50 pounds in size. The lake trout can often, uh, especially if numbers are uncontrolled, lake trout populations can put a lot of pressure on kokanee and can cause declines in kokanee populations. Well, I know the one thing that CPW does to help in that regard to kind of uh, mitigate the uh, reservoirs from lake trout is the lake trout tournament at Blue Mesa. Tell us a bit about that. So what we've seen at Blue Mesa is that lake trout became established within the reservoir, so they began reproducing on their own in the early 90s, and that was due to changes in the reservoir that stabilize storage levels after lake trout spawn. Due to that natural reproduction, we saw lake trout numbers take off, and we began encouraging anglers to, to try to help us manage the reservoir by uh, reducing numbers of small lake trout. 
in recent years, we've really picked up our effort to do that and have uh, held lake trout tournaments to really target harvest on small lake trout. And small lake trout are most numerous within the reservoir and really consuming the greatest number of kokanee. So by targeting those smaller lake trout, we can have the biggest effect on improving kokanee survival. Okay. And why, why would holding a tournament like that, uh, Dan, maybe be better than, than gill netting or something? Is it more effective? Yeah, certainly uh, more preferable by anglers, uh, and we prefer to see anglers part of the solution and the management of the reservoir rather than us having to go out and do additional work uh, removing a number of those smaller fish. So it's nice to see anglers part of the process and, and uh, able to take those fish home and enjoy them uh, and keep, keep things in balance at Blue Mesa. Well, given some of the challenges we've talked about, as you look, kind of look into your crystal ball, what, what's, uh, what do you view in, in terms of conserving kokanee moving forward? And I just see us continuing to work on managing kokanee at, at Blue Mesa and other large reservoirs in the state. Uh, we do need to stock kokanee at most of our waters to maintain populations. So we'll continue working in the fall to spawn kokanee eggs and, and uh, raise fish up to restock Colorado waters. So we do expect kokanee to continue to be part of our large reservoir management here into the future. Yeah, you talk about stocking Colorado waters. How many other water bodies are are stocked across the state with kokanee? Well, we do stock eight waters that we spawn kokanee at. So those are what we consider our brood waters. So they're really the priority for restocking. In addition, we do stock in about 18 other waters, so 26 waters total with kokanee in the state. Well, you got to tell us about a program that CPW has called Fish Fridays. What's that all about? Well, our Fish Fridays are days that we give away kokanee, and we do that each week of our kokanee spawn take at Roaring Hatchery. We need to give kokanee away as they die after they spawn, and we want to make room for new fish that are pushing into our kokanee facility. So we have folks line up at the hatchery by 9 a.m. Uh, they do need to have fishing licenses to receive fish. Uh, and then we provide fish uh, for everyone that has arrived for the giveaway. Outstanding. Sounds like a very cool program. You're not wasting anything that way. Do you get quite a few people that come up and take advantage of that? We do have quite a few folks that show up, and it often is dependent upon the numbers that we have to give away. Uh, so the numbers that each person does receive will depend on how many to be given away that day and how many people arrive for the giveaway. We often will see up to a couple hundred people show up to receive kokanee. Good stuff. Hey, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Dan, and uh, we appreciate all the information on kokanee salmon here in the state of Colorado. Absolutely. Great to talk with you, Mark. Our thanks to Dan Brow for joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. Now jumping into the podcast is Jim White. He is an aquatic biologist out of Durango. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about this year's kokanee spawn. Sounds like it was a banner year. It was, but it certainly didn't start out that way. Um, our first spawn take was actually out at the Door State Wildlife Area. And uh, when we showed up out there in mid-October, um, there were hardly any fish. I think we took nine spawns that day. Wow. And uh, we were really concerned the fish were all bottled up and trapped in the low reservoir. And so we actually ended up walking all the way down from Dolores to the standing waterline of McPhee Reservoir, where the fish are. And... Uh, didn't see really any um, impediments to fish swimming upstream. So we scratched our head a little bit 
And I think really we just needed to wait a little bit longer, and, and finally we had a couple of weather fronts come through. Okay. And that sure seemed to get the fish moving upstream. All so right. after that happened, we had uh, a better run. So you had a decent year, at least with the Dolores River, and I understand a pretty good year at Night Horse. What, what do you think uh, played into that uh, as you look back on it? Well, um, certainly with uh, both spawning operations, I think uh, with the Dolores operation, we have had a series of these low reservoir uh, levels uh, interspersed with some higher reservoir levels, and that seems to kind of kick off this productivity um, and uh, growth in the fish. Okay. That was kind of a big, big push with those guys. With night horse, um, I think one of the factors that played in with the, having a good year out there was um, potentially stocking some eyed eggs a number of years ago. Those usually don't hatch very well, but we think anyway that they may have played into um, the big year class that we saw this year. Jim, your team at Lake Night Horse previously had a record of 1,100 spawns in one day. I understand, though, that you broke that record three separate times this year. Tell us a bit about the spawn, how it works, and how fast and, and how fast you've got to work to move to be able to spawn upwards of 1,500 kokanee in a single day. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. I mean, I think that what it really speaks to is the way we capture um, – Kokanee and Lake Nighthorse, and you have to understand that Lake Nighthorse is what's called an off-channel reservoir. So there's no inlet and there's no outlet. And the kokanee kind of school and, and cruise the shoreline looking for a place to spawn, and so we intercept them with what's called a merwin net. And so the fish get trapped in this large, think of like a swim dock. Um, so there's this large platform that's located about 100 feet offshore, and we can set up our whole spawning operation on top of this dock uh, out in the, in the reservoir. And so we, all we need to really do is go out there, pull up the pot, and crowd the fish and start uh, going to work uh, with those guys. But we actually did, I think our record was 1,743 spawns, and that was just done with three people over the course of about uh, three or four hours. Holy so cow. I did the math. Um, <laughs> about <laughs> 10 spawns per minute um, uh, to, to get through uh, those fish. So it's, it's pretty frenetic um, when we're going. Boy, uh, that, uh, they're obviously keeping you busy with that, no doubt about that. Hey, when we talked to Dan, he talked about the impacts of lake trout, uh, drought, uh, gill lice on kokanee and blue mesa. Are you dealing with the same kind of issues there further southwest? Fortunately, we're not. We don't have uh, lake trout in this region, particularly where we have uh, kokanee populations. And so far, so good. We don't seem to have a issue with gill lice that, that we know of. And I think the gill lice issue is just we've gotten lucky. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, hopefully that will continue this way. I think the, the biggest issue for us is drought. Um, I don't know if you remember, but but uh, we actually have three lakes that historically have been brood lakes down here. One of them is Biocito Reservoir, mm. and essentially we've almost lost that population out there, and I think it has a lot to do with low uh, reservoir levels wow. and just kind of the loss of habitat for these kokanee. Um, they need this, this cold water refuge, and when the reservoir gets really low in the summertime, uh, that refuge just goes away. 
You know, we talked uh, earlier as well with Dan about Fish Friday at, at Lake Nighthorse. How, how many fish were given away this year in that program? Too many to count. <laughs> there were a lot. Um, we estimate about 16,000 at Lake Nighthorse. Wow. Now, you have to realize these fish are averaged about 11 uh, inches, so they're not these big, giant uh, blue mesa fish that are coming in 17, 18, 19 inches. Okay. Um, so they're, they're little guys. Well, what happens with the fish that are already dead before the giveaway? You know, typically we take those out and dump them in the lake. To, essentially, they'll fertilize uh, uh, you know, the lake for, for next year's kokanee. This year we had a fair number of fish that just died uh, um, after we spawned them. So, of course, we give away the spawned fish. And yeah. We actually had a gentleman from the Durango Dog Ranch. Uh, come up and said, these are great. The dogs will love them. And so he ended up eating his sled dogs uh, with uh, some of those dead fish. Yeah. You know, we talk about the spawn. It has done to provide anglers with the opportunity to catch and keep kokanee. When you look at, at anglers in the state of Colorado and in the pecking order of fish, where, where do kokanee fall, do you think, out there for outdoors men and women? Well, you know, kokanee are kind of a niche um, fishery. You know, they you, you need a boat. Uh, typically to um, access them. You need sonar, uh, a downrigger. They're, they're great um, fish, but they're not a fish typically that the average angler, particularly in the summertime, has access to. Okay. In the fall, when they're running, it uh, can be quite an exciting fishery um, to uh, uh, go after uh, in some of the streams they're running up. And we've got a couple of of other uh, naturally reproducing populations, one really popular one that comes up out of uh, Lemon Reservoir down here into the Florida River, uh, and those fish, it's, it's become a really popular fishery in the fall. How about so for some of our anglers out there that are thinking they might want to give it a try? Can you give us some tips on, on catching kokanee, times of year, and maybe some of the areas you might want to look towards? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give away those secrets, Jim. <laughs> I've got try YouTube in my notes. Um, I, you know, there, uh, <laughs> there's actually a lot of good references uh, out there. But I think the main thing that anglers need to know about uh, um, kokanee fishing is, you know, they're they're found in the open areas of these reservoirs because they feed on plankton. They like cold water, so they're going to be down uh, in water typically less than 60 degrees um, and you know, they're feeding on these plankton, which are don't like high light concentrations. So they're going to be down, like I say, fairly deep and in low um, light level conditions. So I think that knowledge of the, of the fish themselves uh, can, can help along with those other tools like a boat and sonar um, to uh, at least get you on the, that school. And they're schooling fish. So, sure. you know, if you find on your sonar a big, Well, I tell you what, as a fellow angler, I'm impressed by the way you answered that with some good information, but didn't give us too much, so I appreciate that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Jim, why would you consider kokanee uh, an ideal sport fish if there's an angler out there thinking about maybe they want to go out and chase them around? Kokanee are actually a great sport fish. I mean, they're fantastic fighters. Uh, they have all the qualities you want in a, in a sport fish, aside from maybe just the, the size they get. They typically don't get over about 18 inches. Um, but the great thing about them is they don't concentrate mercury. 
they tip, they occupy sort of these reservoirs out in the open part of the, the lake and just eat zooplankton, uh, not other fish species uh, that you might be interested in catching. One of the things that, that um, ma- fish managers really like about them, too, is they don't hybridize with other fish. So we have a pro- issue with rainbow trout hybridizing with our native cutthroat trout. You know, kokanee really don't do that. Um, and then for some reason, if you don't want them in a, in a particular body of water, typically all you have to do is just stop stocking them, and they go away. So they're, they're great fish for, for consumption, for sport fish, angling, for a variety of different um, reasons. Hey, Jim, good stuff. We really uh, are thankful you joined us here in Colorado Outdoors. You bet. Thank you. Our thanks to Dan Brown, aquatic biologist for the Upper Gunnison Basin, and Jim White, aquatic biologist out of Durango, for joining us on Colorado Outdoors and giving us their insights into the fascinating kokanee salmon. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.